Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Kia ora and welcome to Our Changing World on RNZ National with me, Alison Balance. Plant Killers. The fungus myrtle rust has been headline news for the past couple of weeks. Myrtle rust spores probably blew across the Tasman Sea from Australia earlier this year. It's already infecting mature pohutukawa as well as nursery seedlings, and it has the potential to seriously affect all plants in the myrtle family, from rata to fijoas. Now, myrtle rust is just the latest deadly plant disease to arrive in New Zealand. Think Pseudomonas syringae PV actinidae, the bacteria better known as kiwifruit PSA. And then another tongue twister, Phytophthora agathodicida, or Cody dieback disease. That's caused by a fungus-like disease which infects and kills giant Cody trees. Monica Girth is a biochemist at the University of Otago. She has funding from the Biological Heritage Science Challenge to investigate chemical signals from Cody and other native plants that might attract, repel or disrupt the homing ability of the Phytophthora zoospores, which swim through wet soil and spread the disease from tree to tree. I visit Monica and her students to find out what their research is all about. One of the main focuses of my group is basically understanding the molecular basis of how microbes smell and move. So when we smell and move, you know, we walk around and we're using sensors like vision is really important to us. If you're a microbe, what are you doing? I think conceptually it's quite similar actually. You know, they'll detect chemical gradients in the environment using proteins or receptors in the same way that we have protein-based receptors in our noses, for instance. Um, And they'll move towards things that they want to eat, for instance. So they move towards food sources or other sort of chemical cues in the environment. They'll move away from things that are bad for them, like toxins. What's this area called? Chemotaxis. Um, yeah, so it's a study of how microbes sense chemicals in their environment and use them to navigate towards favourable conditions. So what kind of microbes do you work on? I had actually started out of really fundamental blue skies, Marsden-funded research, where we're actually interested in the proteins. Um, and our model system for this was a type of Pseudomonas, a type of bacteria. And most people have heard of it because it's the one that infects kiwi fruit here in New Zealand. So PSA, or Pseudomonas syringae. Um, and we were actually interested in it originally because it's got an amazingly complex chemosensory system. So another bacteria that people may have heard of would be E. coli, which is a, a huge model system in laboratories and one of the, the original model system for the study of this chemotaxis. Um, but it only has four receptors, and it can't actually sense very much. So it's actually quite a very boring system from a chemotaxis point of view. Whereas PSA, for instance, has 43 different receptors. And what we've been doing is characterizing them and trying to figure out why it's got so many, what these receptors, what it can actually sense in the environment. And that's kind of spiraled in a good way um, from the more fundamental work into how it's functions to the more, I guess, applied or translational work as to why 
Because you could think about if you could disrupt chemotaxis, you might be able to disrupt host colonization, for instance. Like PSA infects kiwi fruit plants by um, getting in through either wounds or stomata, openings on the surface. So how it's navigating across a leaf to actually find a hole to get in and infect the plant, I think is a really interesting question. And then that, in turn, spiraled into us looking at cowrie dieback disease, um, which is another type of microbe that we think is also chemotaxis is a really important part of it finding cowrie trees in a forest. So going back to the PSA, you said it had, what, 43 receptors? Yes. (laughs) Do you have any idea what it's actually sensing, what it's using all those receptors for? I mean, that's what we're working on right now with our Marsden-funded research. We make each receptor in the lab, and we're testing them against compound libraries to see what they detect. Um, What we're finding right now is that they love organic acids, Um, but we've characterized, I think we're up to about half a dozen now. So we're sort of marching our way through the 43. Um, And we did find, actually, I should say, we found really an interesting one recently that we published um, where it senses a compound called glycolate, which is not something it uses as a food source, so it can't metabolize it, um, but glycolate has been linked in the literature to the opening of stomata, which is one of the ways that the bacteria gets into the plant. And so we think, and this is a hypothesis, but we think it actually might be using glycolate not as a food source, but as sort of a signpost when it's navigating across the leaf surface. So some of the things it's clearly sensing are things that it needs to eat, things that it needs for energy. Yep. Or, or, or just cues to help it find the host in the environment. Now, you say you're doing this in the lab. Is there things going on in the lab today that we could go and have a look at? Yeah, absolutely. Lead the way. So we're in the lab, but just before we go there, can you tell me a bit more about Phytophthora, about Cody dieback? Yeah, I mean, it's probably important because most people don't think they've heard about Phytophthora, at least. They're actually, it's, the, it's a really devastating organism for plants worldwide. Um, it's what caused the Irish potato famine back in the 1800s, was a Phytophthora species. It what caused, it's what's causing Cowrie dieback here in New Zealand. Um, some, and we work on two different types. So we work on the Cowrie dieback pathogen, which is called Phytophthora agathodicida. And we also work on another one called Phytophthora for a cinnamomai, um, which is less of a problem in New Zealand, but it's called the biological bulldozer because it sort of infects thousands of different plants worldwide. And from our point of view in the lab, it's really useful to have the cowrie dieback pathogen, which is incredibly host-specific, and to have a control of a generalist pathogen. Because what we're really interested in is if there are particular chemical signals in cowrie trees that are making this really specific pathogen find the trees or navigate to the trees in the environment. Great, so how do you begin investigating that in the lab? Hi, I'm Lottie Armstrong. I'm doing my master's project um, with Monica. Phytophthora has a life cycle where they have these buds, and I'll show you later down on the microscope, which produce these like single-celled um, things called zoospores. And these zoospores are the things that swim through the soils and will go and swim towards the kauri trees. So... What we're trying to do is replicate that in the lab here by producing those zoospores and testing chemicals to see what they'll swim towards or maybe what they won't swim towards. A large part of the project has actually been just working around the methodology of how to grow these in the lab and produce the spores. I mean, and for us, I guess, as biochemists, we usually sort of have very defined media and recipes that we use to grow bacteria, and phytophthora seem quite different. Um, so some of the, lots of the media we make is made out of um, carrots, ground carrots, or ground peas, or V8 juice um, that you would get from the grocery store. And I often joke that I think phytophthora is the only organism that actually likes V8 juice. 
mean, nobody else does, right? Um, yeah. So it's been quite a lot of work just producing the spores in the lab. And I would say also we've had a huge amount of help from collaborators from Scion um, who have their Healthy Trees, Healthy Futures program. And they've been an amazing help with providing the strains and providing starting recipes for us to get this work underway. I'm Scott Lawrence. I'm an assistant research fellow uh, working on the Phytophthora project with Monica as well. You can see here some of the things that we use to grow these little guys on. So as Monica said, it's not exactly your typical kind of model system. <laughs> so we grow them all sorts of things. We've tried out. Uh, this is basically just ground up frozen beans. Like Monica said, the V8. We grow them in various types of frozen pea and carrot broths and things. As uh, Lottie said, we mostly work on the, the motile zoospores that are produced, so there's an obvious kind of target uh, for you know trying to stop these diseases because that's how they kind of spread out in nature and attack these carrier trees. Um, so you can see we've got some here just in water. So these um, there are fungus-like organs, and they're not actually fungi, but they form these little kind of mats of mould, which you can see in here, and through a series of kind of washes and things you can make them produce these zoospores which we can show you in a moment um, and so they're just white gelatinous clumps essentially the yeah they look a bit like if you can imagine um, if you chuck some mould or <laughs> that you find around your house into water um, but when we look under the microscope in a second you see there's like thousands of little spores swimming around in there and that's how they kind of get from plant to plant and cause so much damage there actually aren't really good estimates of how fast they move through soils. You know, we can track how fast they move in, an, in sort of a free-flowing solution in the lab, but I mean, the, the best estimates we've got right now is that they can move up to about 0.3 metres per hour, um, which is quite incredible for a microbe. Swimming zoospores. Yep. <laughs> Lead the way. Okay. So into a room with a microscope... And Lottie's putting some of those gelatinous lumps under the microscope. And on the screen, what are we looking at? So here are the mats that um, you can see with your eye. And once you zoom in, um, these dark round things here are the sporangia. So it's quite a tangled mass of very fine threads, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. This is the, the mycelium. And from the mycelium, the sporangial buds form. You've got some dark ones and you've also got some empty ones so the dark ones obviously which are the ones containing the zoospores and the empty ones are the ones where the zoospores have been released so I'll try and look around this plate to see if we can see any of the zoospores swimming around. I mean I guess the main focus of this project at the moment is two different things. I mean Part of what we're doing is trying to study the chemotaxis of these zoospores, and in particular, if we can identify, we've got funding from the national, one of the national science challenges, protecting New Zealand's biological heritage. And what we want to do is identify chemical signals in plants, and not just carry trees, that can be used to either attract or possibly even repel the zoospores. Um, and we think that's quite exciting. You know, there might be other plants in a healthy forest that actually give out repellents that would make the zoospores swim away from an area which we might be able to use to protect cowrie trees. Um, and, of course, one of the challenges of this project is there's about 7,000 native plants in New Zealand, and we've got funding to test about 5 to 10 of them. So we really need to narrow down that list. Um, so part of what we're doing is trying to collaborate with um, Maori researchers that have Motoronga Maori knowledge of healthy indigenous forests and what plants might be good targets to start with. 
And then once we can test these extracts from plants in the lab and figure out promising leads, then we also have a collaborator at Lincoln University, Amanda Black, who's a soil scientist that can help us take this from sort of petri dishes in the lab to actual soil-based assays with plants um, to see if we can actually, in sort of a real-world application, stop the spread of the zoospores. So now on the screen you can just see these little dots swimming around, and they're the zoospores, so they're the things that get released out into the soil or the water in nature and will go and swim towards its next host, which would be kauri trees. So there's little dots, and they're buzzing around quite busily, aren't mm. they? Yeah. I can also show you a video um, that I recorded last week um, of the zoospores actually being released from a sporangia. So little black dots. It's a bit like ants running away from an ant colony, isn't mm. it? And they head away very quickly, don't they? They do. So this is really impressive that you can see this happening in the lab. Yeah, we're quite excited about it. And yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Watching it, it's impressive. You can kind of see why they're so devastating. I mean, it is also people transmitting it on soil, on their shoes, and you can have things, wild pigs moving up the track. So they do get some help. We carry them along, unfortunately. And that's why things like people actually using the wash stations at the beginning of tracks, you know, in places like the Waitakere Ranges is so important. Um, but definitely, once someone transmits contaminated soil to a region, we think this sort of motility is a really important part about how it gets from maybe the edge of a track actually to the root of a tree, where it starts the next infection. So now that you can see these things, how are you going about trying to work out what kind of chemicals they're responding to, what kind of chemicals might repel them? We're trying to come up with a list of targets. Obviously, we're testing cowrie root extracts is one obvious one, and then coming up with a list of other native plants um, to test. And what we basically do is actually quite crude. We grind them up in the lab with water, um, and we put them in small glass test tubes, and we add them to these ponds of swimming zoospores. And if the zoospores are attracted to something, they'll swim into the test tube, and we can count them. Uh, if they're not attracted, they'll just keep swimming around in the pond. And if they're repelled, they'll kind of make a zone of clearance around the end of the test tube. Um, So they're really actually quite basic assays, but I think they give quite a lot of information. And then once we identify leads, then we can start um, analyzing them biochemically to try to figure out what the small molecules are in the extracts that are causing this effect. So the extracts that you've tested so far, do you have some that are strongly attractive or, on the other hand, strongly repellent? We do, yeah. Um, It's mostly been not actual plant extracts that we've sort of done so far, just as kind of an initial screen to see, you know, what they like, what they don't like and things. So, as you'd expect, things like copper compounds and things that are used as fungicides uh, in agriculture, they don't like that very much, for example. Strangely, they're quite fond of uh, things like ethanol. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been quite interesting to see sort of what they do and don't like, but we've got some leads and it's looking promising. <laughs> the other focus of our work, which Scott alluded to, in addition to the chemotaxis, I mean, I think one of the challenges of finding something that we can use in this fight against Phytophthora is they do have these complex lifestyles. And so you might find a compound that maybe works against the zoospores, but doesn't work against the mycelial mats, for instance. And so the other thing we're doing with the chemical library screening that Scott's been working on is trying to find compounds that are actually effective against all of the different life cycle phases. Because I think that's probably one of the reasons why they're difficult to control in the environment. That was Monica Gerth from the Department of Biochemistry at the University of Otago. We also heard from master's student Lottie Armstrong and assistant research fellow Scott Lawrence. And to see the videos that the team was talking about, head to our webpage, rnz.org.
www.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.